This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Let's jump right into the word, okay? We're going, we're continuing from verse number four. We did three verses in Habakkuk, Habakkuk one, two, and three, and uh, hey, if... um, if you're new here, uh, the way we teach the word here is very expository in style, which means we break down the scripture verse by verse. We go book by book, and we just started the book of Habakkuk, and we did three verses last Sunday. And my hope is to get to verse number 11 today, and uh, this, this should go pretty fast, but, but, but journey with me as we go through this book, all right? Uh, we're we're going to start with verse number four, but I want to give you a backdrop of what we're talking about. Uh, Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, is not easily found and not really preached from very often. You wouldn't find many preachers preaching extensively from the book of Habakkuk. Probably a few verses here and there you would hear. But Habakkuk was this minor prophet and very little is known about him. We do know that he hung around with big gun prophets like Jeremiah. And he lived 600 years before Jesus Christ appeared in a time where the, the people of Judah and the land of Judah and, and, and Israel as a whole was struggling to comprehend the ways of God. This, this book is unique because there is no prophecy in it. It's compiled with the prophetic books in the Old Testament towards the end of the Bible. But the amazing thing is there is no content of prophecy in this book. There's this dialogue that happens between this man called Habakkuk who happens to be a prophet who is waiting to hear from God so that he can impart into his church, into his country, into his people. But there's this to and forth between God, a conversation of sorts, a prayer of sorts, a poem that he's spending to God. And we're journeying through this. And today uh, we're, we're, we're continuing that study and we've titled this series Habakkuk, How to Be Satisfied in the Savior When All is stri- Stripped Away. Starting with chapter number one, In this book, Habakkuk complains and God responds, and we're going to read God's first response to his first question today. Habakkuk complains again a second time, beginning at chapter number two. God answers and ends with Habakkuk praying and changing his attitude towards the things that God was actually doing in his country. Habakkuk the prophet lived in a time when the Babylonians were growing in power and they were at a threat of the Babylonians taking over and scourging them, and and destroying them completely. And this is where Habakkuk's prayers arise. In verse number four, where we pick up our study today, this is what the Bible says. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surrounds the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. I'm going to read the rest of the passage. Actually, you know what? Let's, Let's read till verse number 11, and then we'll come back to it. Verse 5, look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. Wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. 
Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff, and at rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, would you speak to us through this word? Give me the ability to break this down. Give us the the ability to understand this word for what it's worth, God. I pray that you will speak to our hearts, and I pray, God, that you will do an inner working in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In verse number four, we pick up this last part of Habakkuk's first complaint to God. Habakkuk is, so, is, is a replica of so many of us sitting here. We go through pain and suffering in our lives, and oftentimes we ask the question, how can a good God allow pain and suffering to be within our communities, within our countries, within our society, within our, within our families, within your own lives? The question of pain, of pain and suffering has always been one that has boggled minds, that has, you know, just, just tormented people from the inside out, and questions that have come out of the very, the very idea of pain and the very idea of suffering has been a lot. You know, Josiah, the king Josiah, when he was ruling in the Bible, he discovers these commandments that God had given the Israelites. And it, the, 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 the commandments in Deuteronomy that he uncovers and he says, man, we haven't been following these commandments. We need to do something about these commandments. And he starts implementing these commandments in Israel and in Judah. And, and, and as he starts implementing it, people start worshiping God again. They come back to the presence of God. They, they start loving God again. They start leaving their evil ways and they start coming back into the presence of God. Josiah goes out of the scene and here comes the next king. Here comes a king that is evil, that has sought other gods, that have gone, that has led, led themselves into idolatry and the, the whole country just strays away. And historians and Bible theologians will tell you that this is exactly where the prophet Habakkuk comes into the picture to plead on behalf of the people and say, God, we need you to do something in Judah. We need you to do something in our nation. We have gone far away from you. And the word he uses is this. When Israel starts worshiping idols again, they've drifted away. He says, we are, the, the law is paralyzed. Justice is perverted. The, mean, the, the word paralyzed literally means in this context to, to be numb, to be stunned, right? It's like stun guns that are used to control criminals and, and police that use stun guns to control the, the law had been effectively stunned by the people of Judah. He's saying, God, they are doing everything in their capacity to look law in its eyes and your law and your precepts and your commands and they stun it every single time. No matter how much we put it into effect and no matter how much we try to practice it as a nation, no matter what happens, idolatry has just taken over. It's this, this, this picture that Habakkuk draws for us and from verse number five, the, the passage that we read all the way, way to verse number 11, God is introducing this thing and he's saying, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. He's, he's looking at them and saying, look around you. All right, enjoy what you see right now. Look in astonishment, look in wonder because something is about to happen. 
He says, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not even believe if I told you what I'm about to do. I don't know how many of you have been through that, but I don't know how many of you, God has looked at you and said, man, you would not believe if I told you what I'm about to do. Like, like you would not even believe it. You're going to go through pain. You're going to go through suffering, but you won't even believe it that I am the one that is allowing this suffering to come to you. In many ways and form, this message will shock some, some of y'all. Some of y'all are going to be shaken in your faith a little bit. Some of y'all are going to be encouraged in your faith a little bit. Some of you are going to ask questions after this message today, which is amazing, which is good, which is great. And that is where we want to be at while we examine the scriptures. He says, man, if I try to explain to you as to why I'm doing this or how I'm doing this or why suffering is there, you wouldn't understand. I feel like God sometimes tries to remind us as his people the same thing. Don't try to, to boggle your heads and ransack your brains to try to understand the mind of God. He's looking at us and saying, no matter what you do to understand my will, you're not going, you're wasting your time. Let me do God things. You sit back, you relax and trust in the Savior, even when everything seems bleak. He's introducing them to the Chaldeans. This group of people he's introducing them to and saying, you have no idea what you're about to encounter. If you think that you are going through a dark time, if you think you're going through suffering, if you think you're going through pain, just hold on. Something worse is coming. Like imagine, take a moment and imagine and imagine that you're in prayer time with God and you're like, God, you know what? I, I don't know if I can do this anymore, Lord. Like I'm, I'm going through so much pain, financial crisis. And God looks at you and says, oh, you have no idea, Jeff. You have no idea what's coming at you. And you're waiting and like, oh, Lord, you're going to say breakthrough is coming. You're going to say amazing things are coming. And this is what Habakkuk is hoping. As a prophet, he's hoping that God gives him a word that he can take back to the people of Israel and say, guys, God is going to come through for us. God is about to send his mighty angels and he's going to do a great and amazing work. But the amazing thing is that doesn't happen. God looks at him and says, you have no idea. It's going to get worse. Have you been there where you've been going through something and you pray and you fast and you seek the face of God and you're like, Lord, I prayed for three, three days and three days wasn't enough and you prayed for five days and that fasting extended to one week and then it was like two weeks and three weeks and you're like, God, I don't know. This thing is getting worse than it was before. How? Anybody been there before? I don't know about y'all. Y'all, y'all have it easy. Y'all, y'all, like I don't know what you're talking about, Asha. I, I've been there. I'm like, Lord, I prayed it up. I know I'm coming out of this, and oh man, it's all my hopes are dashed. I don't know what's going on, and I'm like, Lord, I need to come out of this mess. And and sometimes God says, You have no idea. And from verse six to eleven, He is going to describe to us the kind of attack they're about to encounter in a worse kind. Are you ready for this? In verse number six, in, 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 there, there are these H's, that, these adjectives that start with the letter H that he uses to summarize the character quality of the Chaldeans, the people that are coming against the people of Judah. All right? The first one is hostile. In verse number six, he says they're bitter, they're impetuous, they're marching through the earth, they're waiting to just devour, they're this, this army, they're just walking, and anybody that's in their way, they just push down. Haven't you encountered people like that? They don't care about you. They, they just walk all over you. All they care about is their success. All they care about is their career. All they care about is their fame. All they care about is their family, their hopes, their dreams, and they will do anything to walk right past you, right through you. He's introducing them to this challenge thing. They are hostile people. You don't want to be around these guys. 
In verse number seven, he says these are haughty people. They have a law to themselves. They don't even care about other law. They have formed a law of their own. They are lawless people. They disregard all other laws. They don't go by a moral standard. How many of you have encountered people like that in your life? You're living this Christian life and God sends you people your way to minister to and you're like, Lord, I have no idea where they came from. Like, like, these people are clueless about God. They have no moral values whatsoever. We're placed in the middle of people like that every single day, right, Lisa? At work, we're placed at our schools, uh, we're everywhere, our neighbors. You're like, man, I don't know where you get these ideas from. Y'all are like cray-cray people, like crazy. Like, where are y'all coming from? And God's like, these are people that God puts in your way. Don't, you know, diminish those people, right? In verse number eight, they are hasty people. They and their horses were described as animals that were fast and fierce. He's using, you know, words like leopard and wolf and eagle. Fierce people. Verse number nine, they're harmful people. They were full of violence. Verse number 10, they were hardened people. They were strong and adept at battle and they scoffed at kings and rulers is what the Bible says. And verse number 11, they said, it basically describes them as hell-bent people. They, were, they would consider themselves gods, yet God called them guilty, right? They're these people that were hell-bent. Like, like think about that in your terms today, wherever you are in your life, okay? I'll give you an example of your work. Now, imagine you're going through a hard time at work. And God reveals to you in your prayer time, behold, I'm about to do something in your life. I'm going to give you a new manager. She's going to be nasty and lame. Oh, come on, somebody. Would you want to continue to keep praying? Or would you want to be like, oh, this is from the devil. This is not from God. Come on, somebody. The moment you start hearing stuff like that, you're like, oh, in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus. And Jesus is like, bro, I'm talking to you. You don't need to plead the blood of Jesus over my words. But we don't realize that sometimes, right, Richard? He, he's going to talk to you one day and says, man, I'm going to give you that boss and she's going to micromanage you and look over your shoulders and make sure she double checks your work and triple checks your work and quadruple checks your work. And she's going to do that and she's going to get on your nerves. Alex, he's going to scare you and say, man, you're going to encounter those people that, that are going to scare you. They're going to they're gonna come into your lives. They're going to be scary. They don't mess around. They're cutthroat, serious. And, and when, when they crack their whip, it's like they don't hold back. It just comes at you. Come on. Y'all know who I'm talking about this morning. Just when you thought God was coming through for you, God was like, nah, 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 nah. Here you go. I'm going to test your Christianity. Lord, but why me? Because... You just prayed, Lord, give me strength, give me grace. And sometimes when you say, Lord, give me grace, he's going to test your grace. God is going to send you people that don't care about your grievances or your complaints or the, or the, or the, or the HR department that you may send an email to. He's like, man, it doesn't matter. You, whatever your complaints are, there are people that will come your way that are hell-bent, that are headstrong, that the Chaldeans that he will bring in your way because here's the thing. Just when you thought it was bad, it may get worse, but when it gets worse, what are you going to do about that situation? Because think about this. Let's break this down. While studying these straits that God highlighted to Habakkuk, I saw that these same evils that Habakkuk cried to the Lord for. You remember last week? He was doing these cries and saying, God, evil, God, violence. Let's pause. 
In, in verse number two, what does Habakkuk cry? Violence, Lord. In verse number nine, the Chaldeans are coming for more violence. Come on, somebody. Lord, I'm praying for financial breakthrough. Oh, just hold on. It's going to get worse before you know it. But what are you going to do at that point in time? Right? In, in verse number three, Habakkuk saw iniquity and wickedness. In verse number seven, the Chaldeans are terrible and dreadful. In verse number three, Habakkuk sees destruction. In verse number six, the Chaldeans march through the earth, leaving destruction behind. In verse number eight, they're compared to ferocious, ravenous beasts. In verse three, Habakkuk sees strife and contention. In verse number 10, they deride every stronghold. They scoff at rulers. And in verse number four, Habakkuk says, man, the Lord, there's lawlessness and injustice. And, and, and he's praying, God, when is this going to be done? And that's when God responds and says, man, if I try to tell you, you won't understand. How many of us have been caught in a similar situation where you've prayed for deliverance, but have encountered a worse attack than you've been through before? God is encouraging some people today. I don't know what, what pain you're going through. I don't know what situation you're going through. It could be in your family. It could be in your marriage. It could be in your relationships. It could be at work or school. It doesn't matter. For every evil that Habakkuk saw in the people of Judah and what he was praying for deliverance for, God was sending a people that were more evil in that way because they needed to learn something. And today's question that we want to tackle as a church is why? does God allow evil? So I've titled this message, When God Allows Evil in Our Lives. You know, the only way to get through the people of Israel at that point in time when sin had just overtaken them, idolatry had overtaken them, was to God, God, God looking at them and saying, man, I'm going to allow this to happen. You know, you, allow, you remember we talked about Job a few weeks ago when we had baby dedications here, we talked about Job. I was giving kind of an introduction to the series of pain and suffering. And we talked about how God, the devil has this conversation with Job and he says, you know, Lord, you've blessed Job because you've blessed him, you've anointed him, you've given him money and you've given him good health. And, and, and God, he says, if that wasn't there at all, he wouldn't be worshiping you, God. So God looks at him and says, okay, try to test him. And he says, if, if, you, if you strip his health away from him, he won't follow you. So he gives him sores and he gives him this health condition that is so bad that he loses everything around him. But there's something landmark about that. Everything that God allows, he looks at him with a, an addendum, with, with, with an addition to that order. And he says, but... You will not kill him. You can't harm him, but you will not kill him. He always juxtaposes his allowance with his protection. He says, yes, you got to. Allow. Here's the thing about faith, y'all. We can pray about faith. We can ask God for, we can ask God to give us grace. We can ask God to give us strength, but he has to test that strength. He has to test that grace from time to time. But that's the part that we as Christians don't like. We don't like being tested. And here is Habakkuk asking God for this deliverance. And God's like, no, I'm going to give you further of a test. He says, I'm going to allow them all to be taken into captivity where they no longer have their comforts, nothing distracting them. So God's response troubled him even more. And he's like, God, how does this make any difference? God uses this wicked nation called Babylon or the Chaldeans to punish Judah. And Habakkuk is not understanding God's plan. 
But here's the thing. He could rejoice because he had learned to rely on the steadfast love and the faithfulness of God that he trusted. That is why it is important for the Christian to not be swayed by circumstances, yet hold on to the love that you know of. It's not about what you go through at present, but it's, Lord, I, been, I went through something similar. Maybe, maybe not as great as this, not, be, not, not as you know, grave as this, not as dangerous as this, not as life-threatening as this, but I definitely went through something like this before. And you know what came through for me on that day? It was your love. It was your grace. It was your mercy. It was your faithfulness. It was your goodness. And, and sometimes a Christian has to learn how to, to, to understand that God has your best in store. And sometimes you just have to brace yourself and trust in God and be content in God and the faithfulness of God when everything is stripped away to hold Hold on to the little that you have. And sometimes that little might look like hope. That little might look like faith. That's what Jesus says. If you have faith like a small what? Mustard seed. That's all you need. If I can have a little bit of faith, a little bit of hope to hold on to when everything says no. But here's a, here's a situation in the book. God uses this wicked nation for his divine purpose. How mysterious is that, right? How does God use something wicked, something evil? How does God use a disease? How does God use a sickness? How does God use a breakup? How does God use a divorce? How does God use rape? How does God use death? Come on, somebody. Am I the only one that asks God these questions? Yeah, I'm a pastor, but sometimes when horrible things happen in my family and it happened in my friends and happens in my community, I can't help but get on my knees and cry and ask God, why? How mysterious is that? But here's the thing. His, 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 his ways can be so mysterious and we don't always understand, but... That's when God looks and says, you live by faith and not by sight. Church, it's so important. The Bible reminds us that you and I are called as Christians not to live by sight and not to live by what we see and what we can touch and what we can witness, but to live by this thing called faith that says, no matter what is happening around me, I still believe that God is there. God is on the throne. He is still alive. And if he has allowed this to happen to me, he has also given an instruction that it will protect me for his own good and for his own purposes. So instead of praying for the thing to be over, which is normally what I do, God, get rid of this pain. God, get rid of this suffering. God, get rid of this financial issue. Lord, I, I'm, I'm tired of not having a job. Ask God, God, what are you trying to teach me through this process? What are you trying to teach me through this presence of absence, this time where you're not talking to me? What are you trying to teach me? Because sometimes we can talk too much that we don't listen as much. And God is reminding our souls today and saying, do you trust that I got this? 
Because it, it starts with trust. It starts with holding on to that, 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 that glimmer of hope in saying that hope, all that hope has to do is to remind you. You remember 2018 when you almost died in that car crash? You remember? Oh, that you remember that fire that could have burnt your home down? You remember that relationship issue that you had with your husband that could have torn you apart? But you remember grace and forgiveness and mercy? You remember that? Take that slither of hope and remind it of 2018. And that is all you need sometimes to say, God has got my back. God has got my back. God has got my back. That's what hope means, Lisa. That's what hope means. And God is looking and saying, man, you wouldn't believe if I told you. Man, the, the revelation is going to be so incredible that if a, if, if a man told Habakkuk that this was going to happen, he wouldn't believe it. That's what the Bible is saying. But this is God speaking. So God's like, you should. You have no choice. Believe it because it's my words. And my words are alive and faithful. You can't believe, you won't believe. Normally, if you tell the worldly person out there that God is using his evil for his good or what he's going through for his good, he'll slap you in the face. See, but that's what separates you from the rest is the ability that you have to tap into what is called grace, to say, you know what? To tap into what is called mercy, to tap into what is called forgiveness, to tap into what is called the love and the, the infinite grace and the mercy of God to say, no matter what comes, he will not slay me. And that is the, that is the truth that we need to allow to sink deep in. Because you're going to have a lot of voices. Can I tell you this? You're going to have a lot of voices that will, that will jump into the picture and try to tell you otherwise. Because you know what the arguments are made to disprove God based on suffering? Argument number one. God must not be all-powerful because if he was, he would stop all evil. That was argument number one. Argument number two to disprove God in your suffering is how could a loving God allow so much suffering? Two arguments. Argument number one is, is very simple. God must not be all-powerful. He's probably God, but he's not all-powerful. Because if he was, he could stop all evil. And argument two is how could a loving God allow so much suffering? And for both those questions, we base it off a common foundation. And are you ready for this foundation? It's very simple. It's called sovereignty. It's called God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, God is able, and what he owns everything. He created me. He created everything around me. He's putting everything together in his time, and he knows what is best, and that's what separates divinity from humanity, and sometimes I got to remind myself, Ashish, you got to be okay with that because there's that fine line. There's that fine line, and God sometimes takes us over that line sometimes. Come on, am I talking to some? Because sometimes we forget that line. And sometimes that line, that journey along that line is sometimes a financial problem that you're going through. That relationship problem that you're going through is God holding your hand and making you walk on that line. Can I talk to somebody this morning or is this kind of difficult to digest? Because it's hard, I won't lie to you. Because walking on that line can be dangerous. I'm, I'm thinking of this tightrope walker, right? But, but, but God's not this rod that you're holding and this big beam that you're holding, you know, trying to survive. He's right there holding your hand, even though it doesn't seem that way. He's holding your hand and leading you across. You're, you're looking around. You're not looking at God. See, because if you look at God, your hope will be on God. Come on. Am I talking to somebody? Mm. 
I was reminded of this last week when we were, we were uh, traveling to New York or two weeks ago when we were traveling to New York. Our, our little one, our Carissa, two-year-old one, it was her first time getting on an elevator. And, you know, it, it scared her for a second because she was like, what is this? And, you know, the, the, the small gap there is between the floor and the elevator? That scared her. She's like, I don't know what that is. It's dark. It's black. I can't see. So she would go to it. We had to hold the elevator. This is a two-minute process. She would go to the elevator. She would go there. She would. That's what she would do. Eventually, it became a game to her, but it, initially, she, she was like, I don't know what this is. Sometimes we're so focused because till that day, till she turned two, where she, could, she started to look, at our, look around her and she wanted to become self-reliant, we've taken her on elevators before, but it was in our arms. Am I talking to somebody? It was, it was me looking at her and holding her hand and her mom holding her hand and just walking right through. She was not cognizant enough and aware enough to look around. But when she started looking around was when she was like, oh, big gaping hole. Am I talking to somebody? Sometimes we're so mature as Christians that we try to observe everything around us. And we're like weighing the pros and the cons. We're like, oh, this, it seems bigger than usual. Let, let me try to see what my IT mind can decipher. Let me see how medically I can understand this. Let me understand how logistically I can understand this. Let me put economics into this. Let me put uh, math into this. There's this so much that we like to put from our own knowledge, but God is like, I'm a God of wisdom. Y'all need to trust me that I got your back. Let me hold you. Let me take you across the line. Yeah, it might seem scary. Yeah, but, but if your eyes are on me, if I'm carrying you right through, come on. Am I talking to somebody this morning? Ah, I got to go on. See, in order for us to see God's glory in full display, there has to be evil. There has to be suffering, y'all. His compassion, his mercy, his grace, his love, his forgiveness, his kindness, in order to, to display this, there has to be an opposing force that has to be, there has to be evil without sin and evil. You will not and cannot see the full range of the eternal attributes of God. And God sometimes allows us to walk that line so you can see that side as well as his side. And most of the time when we focus on him, we begin seeing his glory and his mercy and relying on his strength rather than worrying about our circumstances all around us. So the big question is this, why would a good God allow evil and suffering? Why? Can I give you a few points? Write this down. Point number one, because God has a greater purpose. Because God has a greater purpose. See, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, we read this passage where the Bible says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. There's purpose in pain. He didn't allow you to go through pain before he sent his son through pain. He didn't ask you to grapple your minds and war and you know, have, have difficulty with this whole idea of pain before he sent his own son, his own beloved son to the cross to die the most painful death for you and for me. And in that, there was purpose. Because here's the thing, without, without the cross, there would have never been a Pentecost. 
you, you begin understanding this more in depth, and unless the olive goes through the crushing, there will be no oil. The Bible reminds us in John in 9, it's 9 he, he reminds us that unless a grain of wheat falls down in the ground, breaks and dies, it will, not come, it will not bear fruit. Like what is inside of it has to come out. And sometimes God is testing our metal. He's testing our strength. When you sing on Sunday morning, give me grace, give me strength to trust what you say. Guess what? If you sang that Monday morning, he's going to test that strength. He's going to test that grace. Am I talking to somebody? Because you asked for it. Some of you are like, I'm not going to sing ever again on Sunday mornings. <laughs> but pause and think about what you're asking for, right? These are things that we ask God for. And if you're asking God for grace, he's going to test your grace. When that coworker gets on your nerves, he's going to be like, I want to see that email that you're sending back to him right now. When your husband doesn't do what he's supposed to do and when you've tell, told him to do like a million times what he's supposed to do, be like Sonia. Show grace a hundred times. Such a beautiful Christian she is. The second thing is this. There's always purpose. The first point is there's always purpose in pain. Your pain, I, I've said this over this course of this introduction, never allow your pain to be wasted. Look at somebody and say, don't allow your pain to be wasted. Do not allow your pain to be wasted because God doesn't waste your pain, Terrence. Right? He does not waste your pain no matter what you're going through. Point number two. A good God will allow evil and suffering because it's a call back to repentance. You know, the people of Israel, Judah, this is a prime example. God was bringing them back and saying, you've gone far away from me. Maybe, just maybe, is there something in our lives that we need to get right before God? I'm not talking to somebody. Here's the thing about pain. Uh, doctors will tell you it's good to feel pain, right? How many of y'all love when the doctors take that? What do they call it? The hammer thingy? What is it? I don't know what it's called, but they take it and they do it on your knee, right? Hate when that happens. How many of y'all enjoy that moment? You don't, right? Like I haven't met one person that says, I'm looking forward to that in my doctor's visit today. No, right? It's, it's like, why would you do that? But the doctor has to do that because he wants to make sure that you react appropriately. He wants to make sure that you still have the sensitivity. There's this disease, I, I can't remember what it's called, there's a short form for, for it, but there's a disease that certain people go through where they can't feel pain. Where they can't feel pain, you, you, could, you could pinch them, you could put their hand on a burning, burning fire, they can't feel pain. And if you ask them, I've met one person in my life many, many years ago, and they, it's, it's the worst existence ever not to feel pain. Isn't that weird? Isn't that crazy to hear that? He says, I... I, 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 I just crave to feel pain because I don't know. My body is going through stuff that I don't even know about because I can't feel pain. Unexplainable stuff happening in my life because I can't feel pain. And it's amazing when you start breaking it down. Pain reminds you that something may be broken. Am I talking to somebody? Pain reminds you that something is not right, Alex. Pain reminds you that maybe something in your relationship needs to be fixed. Maybe that an issue that you're having in your marriage is not really at face value what you think it is. Maybe it's a deeper issue that you need to go back and get help from a counselor or a therapist. Maybe you need to go to family counseling. Maybe you need to take your kids in for counseling. Maybe you as a, as a couple need to go deeper than what the surface issue really is. Because for us to go through pain 
Something is broken. Something is hurting. Something is not normal. That's what pain really means. You know, God was trying to get the attention of a nation in the Old Testament by pain. You know, there's a staggering, as much as I, I hate this, this stat, there's a staggering stat that there was a 25% increase in church attendance the Sunday after 9-11. And it hasn't gone down. I, I, I have a hard time understanding that. I'm pretty sure you do as well. Could it be that, and the question that, that boggles my mind and I want to present to you is, could it be that God used this unfortunate tragedy to get our attention as a nation? Point number three, God uses pain and suffering to discipline his children. Worship team, would you guys come up and as I, as I close this message out? You know, David's adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, you remember that? He gets into this adulterous relationship with this woman that is not his. God doesn't punish him. You know who gets the brunt of the punishment? Their love child. The child that is born to them is the one that goes through that hard time, that, that disease, that sickness, that the death of the child, the, the child of David and Uriah's wife. That child gets the brunt of the, pain, the, 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 the sin of his father and the sin of his mother. I'm talking to us today. There are some things that we need to get right before God. Because sometimes sin has this effect of looking at you and lying to you and saying, oh, it does not have any immediate effect from God. Keep doing it, keep doing it over and over again because God's not reacting. But without your knowledge, it's hurting something. It's hurting something and God uses pain and suffering to discipline. It might come two years later. And you're like, God, what if I'm tithing every Sunday, Lord. I'm giving to the Lord. I'm showing up. I'm serving God. What more do you want from me? Hello? It's going to catch up with you sometimes. But repentance is key. And some people, God is looking at it and saying, man, I want you to repent and come back to me. And the fourth and final thing is this. He uses pain to build character. What is evil's role in character building? How does character build through evil? You know, if, if I look at the world, you know what I want out of the world? I want a world that, that has these following characteristics. I want courage. I want to see courage. I want to see compassion in this world. I want to see forgiveness in this world. I want to see people sacrificing for one another, just like Jesus did. That's what I want to say. I want to see charity in this world. I want to see people giving of themselves, giving to one another. I want to see generosity in this world. How, do, how does that happen? Do your children develop courage without tests? No. Like you have to take them through tests of courage. I do this to my, 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 my five-year-old a lot. I, I, do it, I, I put her on the countertop and I ask her to jump to me and, and jumping front was easy for her and she kept jumping and jumping and jumping. And then I turned her back. I was like, fall back. Oh, I scared her. That reminder that daddy's got you. Daddy's got your back. It doesn't matter, just, just fall. I got you. And, and I would train her. I would bring my hands so close to her and make her fall and make her fall to, to where right now both my girls love doing that. <clears throat> but here's the thing, if you want to enjoy a world with these things, you have to endure a world that develops these attitudes. God puts us in a world where he can build our character because if we want courage, we have to know what danger is. 
If you want compassion, you need to know what suffering is. If you want to know forgiveness, you have to know what evil is. If you want self-sacrifice, you, want, you need to know what sacrifice. You, you, if you want charity, you need to know what poverty is. Because if you want a world with good values, you have to learn to accept a world that develops those attitudes and values. Stop shunning it. Stop running away from it. And some of us struggle with this picture because we think that God's number one priority is to make us happy. I'm going to repeat that for y'all. Some of us struggle with this idea because we think God's number one priority is to make us happy. But here's the thing. God didn't promise us that there will be no evil or suffering. That wasn't part of the promise. The promise is that I will be with you till the end of time. I will hug you. I will, I will embrace you. Even though you walk through the waters, I will be there for you. If you walk through the fire, I will be. Come on, am I talking to somebody? He says, I will be with you because I live. You shall live also. I know by what I have been through in this short life of mine that it's better to grow through problems and pain with God on my side than without him on my side. And I pray that some of us will cling on to that promise of hope today. And say, Lord, I want you on my side. Some of us have experienced deep suffering and pain. Y'all are sitting over here and y'all have probably been through tumultuous pain that I can't even fathom, y'all. You might be like, Pastor Ashish, you're preaching this message, but you have no idea what I went through. You have no idea what I've been through in my life. You have no idea what I'm presently going through. It's easier for me to stand here and preach a message, but I'm, I'm somebody that's been through it. I, I've been through it myself. I've been through some of the hardest times in my life where I thought that I couldn't live anymore. Times where I thought I was gonna give up. I thought I was not gonna make it. I thought that God was done with me. Times that I've walked away from God that I felt so embarrassed to come back to the presence of God. And God reminds us over and over again, time after time, that my grace is sufficient. And some of those most powerful lessons I've learned when I've come to the end, you know, that I've learned is when I've come to the end of myself. When I've said, I'm letting go, Lord. If you can't help me, I'm not going to do this, Lord. Stripping yourself of that self-reliance. Can you stand up to your feet, church? Here's the thing, anything that drives your need for God reflects love. You want to know how to love God? Depend on Him. You want to know how to, how to go closer to God? Depend on Him. Don't rely on yourself. Here's what pain and suffering will do. Pain and suffering will either make you better or bitter. Just two possibilities nothing else pain and suffering will either make you bitter or it will make you better my question today is what is it making you I've seen way too many of my personal friends walk away from the faith because they could not wrap their heads around the question why suffering why pain but I'm not lying to you when I tell you there's purpose in your pain this purpose in your suffering. And sometimes it's mind-boggling when God throws this curveball at you. 
and says, you're going through something, it's going to get worse, Jeff, before you know it. Before it gets better, it's going to get worse. We're going through something like that as COVID has literally hit our country and the world today. Barna Group is collecting the stats of how many people are coming back to church because of this pandemic and relying on God and praying and coming back into the presence of God and the results are staggering. God cannot start something in you unless you arrive to the end of yourself. You have to come to that point. As we spend some time in worship, if there's something you're praying about, we'd love to pray with you. The prayer partners are here. But I'm going to give them a few moments for them to lead you into a time of worship and I'll come back and we'll pray and we'll close out. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.